You're listening to TIP. Hey, how's everyone doing out there? So on today's show, we have an amazing guest that's taken the fundamentals of statistical analysis and applied it to a system for being a successful momentum investor. Our guest's name is Dr. Richard Smith, and he's a graduate of UC Berkeley and other esteemed institutions with a degree in mathematics and system science. He's the founder of a highly successful investment website called Trade Stops, and his site provides recommendations for entry and exit points on stocks completely based on the price action. Now, we've heard about this approach from previous guests like Wesley Gray, James and Patrick O'Shaughnessy, but it'll be interesting to have a discussion with Dr. Smith because his platform specializes in this approach, which is very different than the typical fundamental and value investing strategies that we often talk about on this show. As a side note, Stig was out of town and wasn't able to join us for this discussion, but he'll be back with us again in the future episodes. So without further delay, we bring you the thoughtful Dr. Richard Smith. You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected. All right. So awesome to have everyone with us here. And I'm joined with Dr. Richard Smith right now. And so, Richard, welcome to the show. Preston, it is great to be here. I've been following your work for a couple of years now. I love your show. Uh, you know, I couldn't be happier to uh, be on here with you and your audience. Well, thank you uh, very much, Richard. We're, we're very humbled to have you with us here today. Uh, so let's go ahead and start off the show by uh, talking about your background. Uh, what was the driving factor in your life that led you to put all the time and effort into creating your own momentum-based investing website? Because this is this is a lot of work, what you've done. And I'm kind of curious to hear what your inspiration was. Well, I, was, I started out investing myself in the late 90s. There was a lot of momentum going on in the markets then, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Followed by March of 2000 when the momentum turned in the other direction. But really, I stumbled upon it because I just observed myself as an investor. And I kept noticing how I got stuck in big losing positions and I never got stuck in big winning positions correspondingly, right? So that was like, wait a minute, you know, I'm a, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. You know, I studied math at Berkeley. I got my PhD in a field called system science. And, um, you know, how come this keeps happening to me over and over again? It, w- it didn't make sense. It didn't add up, right? So then I started looking into, uh, you know, what tools could help me reverse this pattern I saw in my own investing. And uh, the first thing I came upon was a simple trailing stop strategy, literally a 25% trailing stop strategy. And I started backtesting this against my own portfolios, other portfolios, and it kept improving the, uh, the performance. And, you know, why is that? What's going on there? And then I came across the work of, of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, It's called prospect theory. But basically, you know, I found out that this has been, uh, you know, very well documented since at least the early 1990s, that psychologically, when we get underwater on a position, we want to take more risk to try to get back to break even because we hate losing Mm -hmm. where we are averse to losses. We have loss aversion. So that, you know, kind of behavioral bias towards taking more risk when we're underwater 
is what makes us get stuck in our losers. And then, but on the flip side, when it comes to our winners, we are, we don't have any behavioral biases to getting stuck in our winners. We actually are risk averse when we're, when we have gains, we want to take those gains off the table Hmm. as, as quick as possible. (laughs) You know, we, uh, we don't want to lose those gains. Okay. So literally we are risk seeking when it comes to our losses and we are risk averse when it comes to our gains. And in my mind, that explains 50% of the chronic underperformance uh, that the individual investor experiences in the markets. That investing is really a behavioral challenge as much, if not more, as it is an information challenge. So everybody spends all this time you know, trying to get as much information as possible. But in the end, it's the behavior that, you know, the bad habits that we have as investors, you know, really they're habits that apply in other areas of life correctly, you know, like buying things at a, at a discount, right? You know, but psychologically in the markets, it just trips us up, you know, and then you combine it with the media's constant hammering on us and trying to get our attention every day and, you know, work us up into a lather so that we'll look at their advertising. Well, so what's interesting is you're talking about how you how you stumbled upon understanding why you were psychologically making mistakes. Right. And so then your, your approach to solving that was let's turn to mathematics here and let's Absolutely. try to develop a protocol or a procedure so that when this happens, I'm going to trust the math and not my emotions. Right. Yep. And so, okay. Yes. So describe what you built. So I started out with trailing stops and then I started saying, well, there's, uh, you shouldn't use the same trailing stop on every stock, I'm sure. So I came up with a volatility-based trailing stop strategy to measure the historical volatility on uh, pretty much any stock and to use that as the basis of how much noise or uncertainty is in this stock if I want to hold it for at least 12 to 18 months. So if a person's hearing that, they're going to immediately think, well, that's an exit strategy, but how about an entry stat, uh, strategy? How do I know when to get into something based on this momentum and the volatility? Absolutely. And that was the next step. So I had a good system for getting out of a stock now, and then I needed a good system for getting uh, into a stock or back into a stock that I had gotten stopped out of. And so I uh, used that same uh, principle of volatility. So if something is in a downtrend, the first thing that I want to see is that um, it has a very you know, solid up move off of its downtrend and that it uh, moves up more than its sort of normal expected volatility because I don't want to get caught in dead cat bounces. Mm-hmm. So then where the momentum piece really came in was actually combining that with a trend, uh, momentum-based trend indicator to make sure that I wasn't getting whipsawed too much. So that combination of one you know, what's the normal expected volatility for this stock? What's the normal noise that I should be okay with? You know, if this stock's going up, right? How much noise should I allow it, expect in the stock to, to, to tell like, hey, this is just normal movement in this stock. But if it gets noisier than that, then, you know, something else is going on and the trend might be changing. And then the same thing when it's in a downtrend, how much noise can I ignore? You know, how much noise does it need to trigger on the way up in order to tell me, hey, this is more than just the normal noise in this stock. So basically, I quantified noise. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. 
It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities, coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is an AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. So one of the things that uh, Stig and I have been playing around with is using a momentum strategy to help us identify falling knives because, you know, one of the biggest problems with value investing is when a company is a great value pick, it's also usually something that's heavily out of favor. And if for anyone that's conducted a value investing strategy before, there's there are these times when you'll buy a company that has maybe a great accounting fundamentals and it looks really cheap, but the price action is very difficult to endure and it might just keep going down for the next three months. And then it's testing your temperament. And so we're trying to first identify companies with the great fundamentals, but then only buy those companies once we see a statistical change in the price momentum, which suggests that the pain is starting to subside and it's not going to be so painful from a vantage point where it's really testing our temperament. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that idea. I love it when you, you know, you're identifying your own basket of ideas, right? Yeah. From one source or another, right? Your yeah. own analysis, maybe following the billionaires, but somehow, and this is what I do myself, I've identified my favorite uh, stock pickers, basically, that I get my ideas from. I put together my basket of ideas and then, you know, I will not try to catch a falling knife. I will watch those indicators. And when I see something basically turn green that I really like, you know, I'm all over it. Quick, incredible story for you. All right. Yeah, let's so hear it. Friend of mine, um, 
uh, developed a search engine company back in the late 90s, was a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ, right? At the peak of the NASDAQ, uh, his company was generating like $5,000 in revenue a day mm-hmm. or $5,000 of profits a day. Yeah. And stock was $20. At the bottom of the NASDAQ, his stock was worth $1 and his company was generating $100,000 a day in revenue. It's unreal. So sometimes the markets throw the babies out with the bathwater, you know, and yeah. that can happen in sectors, uh, it can happen in industries. And, you know, as uh, I think it's uh, uh, John Maynard Keynes, I'm not sure if he's the one, but it's usually attributed to him. The markets can stay irrational longer than we can remain solvent. You have to have some kind of fundamental foundation. And I think for the individual investor, right, you know, we're not Warren Buffett necessarily. We're not going to hold stocks for 20, 30 years. Uh, So to combine great stock picking, good momentum strategy, something like that. I think it's it's the way individual investors pretty much have to go. Hey, so I'm curious. So people listening to this, they might be interested in, in just hearing where are you seeing momentum trends today in the end of March 2018? What are you seeing as good momentum trends? Consumer discretionary and financials and technology uh, are still in the green. I look at the Spider Select sector uh, ETFs, right, that break the S&P 500 up into different sectors. So Consumer discretionary financials and technology are still in the green. And by the way, those happen to be the three sectors that the billionaire investors that I follow uh, really love and have their biggest weights in consumer discretionary financials and technology. On the downside, consumer staples, health and utilities are all in the red. And uh, uh, I'd be staying away from those. How about commodities? I am bullish on oil. Uh, gold has been uh, in an uptrend now for at least 12 to 18 months and oil for 18 to 24 months. And um, oil is, is one that I, is, I always had trouble investing in oil, especially when I first started investing. And I was even doing a little work in the futures markets. And I would just always get beat up by oil. And what I found from my own research was that oil as a commodity is surprisingly volatile. You know, I I came up with this metric, the volatility quotient or the VQ. And on oil, it's usually above 30%, you know? So then you see these articles in the media, oh, oil, you know, fell more than 10%. It's in a bear market. No, it's not. You know, oil has to fall 30, 35% before it's in a bear market. Anything less than 30% is just noise in oil. So it may be at 60 bucks, you know? But it's got to fall fifteen, twenty dollars, you know, in order for it to be anything other than just noise, basically something that you can ignore, right? Yeah. So oil falling from sixty dollars to fifty dollars is no big deal. That's just the normal expected behavior for oil, right? So that kind of uh, um, insight using that the, that mathematics basically to say no, this is something I can ignore, or no, this is something I really need to pay attention to has been immensely helpful to me. So I've been bullish on oil for two years now, you know, and it it thrashes around a bit, but it thrashes around within its normal expected uh, range, you know, but that can be quite a bit, you know, but oil at 60, falling down to 50, eh. I, uh, you know, some of the long-term trends that I'm still uh, keeping a close eye on, the downtrend in long-term treasury yields, right? So 30-year treasury yields, Obviously, that's a big question for the markets right now. We're in a 30-year downtrend, you know, and that downtrend has not been broken to the upside. You with know, respect so with, to yield, you're saying? With respect to yield, yeah, right? So yeah. Treasuries are in an uptrend. Yields are in a downtrend. 
you know, long-term interest rates, uh, I'm not sold on the idea yet that long-term interest rates are headed higher. Yeah. You know, I still think there's going to be some flight to safety uh, movements coming up. And uh, so, you know, I think the long-term downtrend in long-term interest rate yields uh, is still intact. And we're seeing the the inversion of the yield curve. You know, typically at the end of the credit cycle, you always see the short end of the yield curve coming up and the long long tail just kind of holding put. So that's interesting. Hey, talk to us about the uh, you were you were mentioned in the bill the this billionaire filter. I've seen this on your platform. Tell us more about this because this is fascinating, and I absolutely love this tool. And uh, I think people hearing this are going to be pretty. This is this is neat stuff. Well, like I said, you know, I, I'm not a stock picker myself, right? I really I need a way to narrow the choices, my investment choices down from a universe of ten thousand different, you know, publicly traded stocks down to maybe, you know, a couple hundred stocks that that I feel somebody who knows what they're doing has really looked at carefully. Yeah. So, you know, who better than that? Who better than uh, some of the world's greatest investors to do that for me? So, and all of that information is basically, you know, published for free. What's Warren Buffett in, in terms of publicly traded companies? What's uh, Seth Klarman, David Einhorn, Carl Icahn? George Soros. So they're all have to publish their in you know their stocks that they're publicly they're publicly held stocks. So I started basically digging into that data and finding out what investments those guys were in and then looking at that for my universe of investment ideas. So I'm following about 15 different billionaires right now. Um, you know, that collectively is three to 400 different investment ideas at any one time. And basically then I apply my, uh, my momentum strategies, which in trade stops boils down to a red light, yellow light, green light system now. And, uh, you know, I say, Hey, if Warren Buffett likes it and, uh, and it's green, then I'm seriously considering it. And a great example, uh, right now is Tiva, Tiva pharmaceuticals. So, Buffett bought Tiva in the fourth quarter of 2017, and Tiva just recently turned green in my system. So Tiva has moved to the top of my list of candidate stock ideas, basically, because, hey, if Buffett likes it, that's good enough for me. And uh, (laughs) recently turned green in my system. Um, So I'm paying close attention to that stock and considering adding it to my portfolio. I love it. So you're, you're basically outsourcing your fundamental analysis. I like to say uh, Warren Buffett works for me. <laughs> Warren Buffett is my stock analyst. <laughs> I like it. It works great. And it gives you confidence, right? And confidence is such an important thing to have in the markets. You know, it's like you have to be able to live through the storms. You have to be able to live through the turbulence, the whipsaws, right? So one kind of quantifying your noise factor, how much you know, noise or uncertainty do I have to live with in a stock like Tiva? But then knowing that, hey, Buffett's in Tiva, you know, uh, it's got to be, you know, in uh, a pretty good idea and you need confidence as an investor in the market. So I think that's a great way to build your confidence, find great stocks and then get in them at the right time. So talk to us about portfolio construction. So when you're thinking through the volatility piece and you're thinking through all the risks that's kind of associated with various picks and different sectors and stuff, how do you construct your portfolio? How do you think through that? difficult problem. I try to keep it as simple as possible. 
Uh, I've mentioned how I came up with a uh, measure of volatility on individual equities that I call the volatility quotient trait. Well, I also came up with a way to measure that volatility on your whole portfolio. So just like you can say, uh, you know, hey, Johnson & Johnson has a 12% volatility quotient, which means that if I want to hold that stock for 12 to 18 months at a minimum, then I need to be just fine if Johnson & Johnson falls 10% you know, and turns back up. So then, uh, but to be able to measure that on your portfolio as a whole is really important. How do all the pieces of your portfolio fit together, basically in terms of correlation, right? So some stocks are going up while other stocks are going down. So, uh, you know, Ray Dalio, I believe, said that the holy grail of investing is 15 good uncorrelated investment ideas. So finding investment ideas that are all good, but that some are going up while others are going down, uh, that's a very powerful way to put together your portfolio. And so in Trade Stops, I came up with something that I call the Portfolio VQ or the Portfolio Volatility Quotient. Basically takes the stocks in your portfolio, how much you've got in each one, how volatile each one is, projects back for three years um, what the performance of that portfolio would have been, and then measures the volatility of that of that uh, equity curve. And, um, and so now you have a new investment idea, you can add it to your portfolio just as a test and see if it increases or decreases the overall volatility of your portfolio. It's really one of the huge uh, pieces of the way I put portfolios together. And then I also use volatility to help me decide how much to invest. So when we're talking about volatility, you're not going to find anything that's probably more volatile than Bitcoin or some of these cryptocurrencies. I'm curious, is this something that you have uh, dabbled in? Because I know I've owned some Bitcoin and uh, I'm kind of curious if you have and how you can approach it with all your volatility tools that you're using. I have indeed uh, gotten involved myself. I've really become a big believer in uh, the cryptocurrency and blockchain movement. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I think it's an incredible opportunity for individual investors. And I think that, you know, my work applies a lot because essentially if I boil my work down into a nutshell, Preston, it's like, how do individual investors who are busy, who have other lives, right? But, you know, who are, have been successful in their lives enough to accumulate some capital right, that they have the uh, opportunity to uh, deploy that capital into financial markets and into speculative opportunities. And that's a very important function in our economy. And, uh, you know, so my work boils down to how do successful people deploy their capital in the financial markets in, a, in an intelligent way that still allows them to sleep at night? Because I think the worst position to be in in the markets is when you're unsure about what you're doing, when you know the volatility is getting away from you and you start to get emotional in your decision making. Well, so I'm, I'm curious to hear how the results of, of some of your analysis has worked because we had this massive upturn uh, in Bitcoin in December. It got clear up to 20,000. Um, yeah. I think it was at 20,000 for, you know, less than 12 hours or something. I think you could probably say the high was more around like 18,000. I'm curious how your platform performed through that. And, you know, were you were you invested through that 10x jump? I'm assuming that that you had very strong momentum indicators through that. But I'm also curious where you saw a thing, because I mean, we've been in a bear market. I think the price of Bitcoin right now is clear down to 8,000 with, you know, a 12,000 
dollar pull off per Bitcoin. When yeah. were you starting to see momentum signs saying that you hit a top and that it was time to not be holding a position? Because I'm assuming right now you're not holding a position. In terms of my red light, yellow light, green light system, you know, the volatility quotient on Bitcoin was about 40 percent. Wow. So that means, you know, hey, that's how much noise you got to be OK with. Right. So when Bitcoin made a top at twenty thousand dollars, you know, the forty uh, percent below that is twelve thousand yeah. dollars. So literally, you know, but still my, my system got into Bitcoin at around two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So a ride up to twenty thousand dollars and a ride back down to uh, twelve thousand dollars was you know, what you needed to be okay with in order to use this system to be long Bitcoin. Now, I had some other indicators that aren't part of my trade stop system. I've been a big uh, follower of time cycles analysis for 10 years now. And um, I had some other reasons to believe that Bitcoin was going to top in late December and frankly, uh, possibly bottom in late March right about now. So I actually like the action that we're seeing in Bitcoin today. We saw a low back in uh, early February. We saw a higher low recently, you know, last weekend. I've been expecting um, a near term bottom in Bitcoin right about now. But more broadly, you know, I think just what's going on with crypto is is incredibly exciting. I think it's incredibly important. I was actually at uh, the IBM Think conference earlier this week in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. I met with two vice president level executives at IBM who basically told me yeah, IBM is all over blockchain. And, you know, there's private blockchain and there's public blockchain. Obviously, IBM is doing a lot in private blockchain, but, uh, but they can't, you know, they told me they can't get away from the public blockchain either, right? I mean, I think a big part of the crypto and blockchain movement is about trust, right? We're seeing a lot of Um, lack of trust in big institutions. You know, what happened with Facebook this week is an incredible indicator, you know, when you can get, you know, too big and too powerful and lose that trust almost overnight of a massive amount of people, right? And uh, so that new model of trust that blockchain and crypto represent, I think is a paradigm shift. It's something that I think is very worth investors' attention. And it is something that I've applied my tools to basically to help investors know how to be in this space and, uh, you know, and be in it for the long term, right? Know how much uncertainty or noise to inspect, to expect, to be comfortable with so that you can be in this space and ultimately capitalize on the potential of this space as an investor, you know, and not just get whipsawed and, and lose your money. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. 
That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Yeah, no, I think that the volatility on that one, man, you better really uh, be prepared for some wild swings. <laughs> yeah, and so my indicators are basically saying, you know, it's stormy seas in crypto right now. We're not out of the woods. Uh, I personally think, you know, it's an interesting time to do some some bottom dipping right now, you know, and you may be catching a falling knife, but as long as you're not putting more money into it than you're comfortable not seeing for a year or two, I think it's an interesting time to be doing some bottom dipping. But uh, some of my favorite cryptos and altcoins in the space, I actually really like Litecoin right now and uh, Monero, which is... Uh, in just an unbelievable uptrend that was hardly dented by the uh, the recent downturn at all. You know, there's a site called coincheckup.com and they have an algorithm ranking system there that looks at the teams and the public uh, support of the of the network essentially, you know, the past track record of the teams, what their model is, what their ideas and uh, Ether Classic and Monero uh, and Bitcoin rank at the top of that algorithmic it's like corporate system. governance for crypto. You have to be looking into, you know, because 
you're basically betting on these teams and on these networks and on these ideas at this point. You know, there isn't, you know, Warren Buffett is not in crypto because there is no way to fundamentally value, you know, what, what amounts to a new, a new paradigm at this point. You know, so it is a bet on the teams and on the ideas and on the, the people that are attracted to that new business model, essentially, right? Um, so I think Ether Classic and Monero both have some great technical encouraging signs, though they're both in the red right now, according to my system. So, you know, this is definitely bottom fishing here. You know, this is not, hey, we're waiting until it turns green and it just turned green, right? But uh, I think those are a couple that people would be well served looking into. Okay. Interesting. Hey, so when we were talking, uh, and this is a little bit of a plug, sorry guys, this is a little bit of a plug for our Berkshire meeting, but we had uh, lunch. I asked Richard, I said, Richard, are you going to come out to the Berkshire uh, meeting in May? And he said, you know what? I think I will do that. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Are you excited for the meeting? I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited to spend time with uh, you and your colleagues and I've never been to the Berkshire meeting. And, uh, you know, I really started focusing on the billionaires in the past uh, 18 to 24 months. Buffett obviously stands out. Uh, by the way, just for your readers' uh, uh, benefit, my favorite billionaire to follow is David Einhorn. And I don't want to get too far off the track of Buffett here. Charlie Munger was one of the first people that really turned me on to the psychology of investing. Uh, what, there's, a, there's a YouTube video of Charlie Munger giving a talk at Harvard. Um, about the work of Robert Cialdini, you know, who wrote uh, Influence, right? And then Persuasion now. And I had come across Cialdini's work through um, looking into marketing myself, being a business owner, right? You have to know a little bit about marketing. And, um, and then later on, seeing Charlie Munger talk about the psychology of investing, basically, and how he learned about it from reading this book by uh, Professor Cialdini, was very influential on me and, you know, really told, really, uh, you know, gave me a heads up to how smart Charlie Munker really is. Yeah. Um, it's funny you were talking about uh, Einhorn because I read his book, uh, Fooling Some of the People All of the Time. And uh, you can see how just in his writing of that book, how smart that dude is. Yeah. I mean, he is a smart dude. And, uh, I mean, just a diatribe of a book about one, one stock that he was investing in through all this painful experience and just clobbering the, uh, the, the corporate governance and the, and the company. It was a, it was a fascinating read. I don't, I don't know if we could do it on the show. I don't know that it would be a good fit for reviewing on the show, but if anyone mm -hmm. wants to read a really interesting book, go ahead and, and uh, read Einhorn's book. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, going back to Buffett for just a minute, you know, uh, one of the stocks that Buffett has been buying recently is Apple, right? So he first bought Apple back in uh, 2016. And then and Apple has been, you know, at around uh, $100, maybe average price. He's still buying Apple today at $170 a share. So he's actually adding to his winners on the way up. But, you know, as individual investors, most people tend to add to their losers, right? You heard of doubling down on your, on your losers, right? Yeah. So going to this momentum thing, right? And wanting to get away from being risk-seeking with my losses to being risk-seeking with my gains instead. And if you think about it in terms of businesses, we're, we're owners of businesses as investors, right? So essentially, when we're putting more money into the businesses that are losing us money and taking money out of the businesses that are making us money, that's it's not logical, right? <laughs> but you see Buffett putting more money into the businesses that are making him money, right? Apple's going up. 
and he still feels it's a good value. He's buying on the way up. And it's the exact opposite of what most investors do, especially individual investors. You know, they just keep buying on the way down, feeling better and better about, you know, oh, I'm getting a lower, you know, cost basis. You know, and I understand dollar cost averaging. I think it's a very uh, valid way of going about investing, but that's not what most of us are doing. You know, we're doubling down because we are risk seeking when it comes to our losses. We want to get back to break even as quickly as possible, you know, and and break the break even theory actually won last year's Nobel Prize in economics from Richard Thaler. He followed up on Daniel Kahneman's work, who also got a Nobel Prize, you know, and Richard Thaler basically showed, yeah, you know, we do try to get back to break even and uh, and we'll take extra risk in order to do that. Right. So we got to get past that. Watching Buffett buy Apple on the way up and add to his winners is another thing that just kind of changes my confidence as an investor that that's the right way to do things. So, Richard, I'm curious because I, I can see behind you, you read a lot of books. I mean, your <laughs> your bookshelf behind you is just loaded with books. Yeah. I love that. I'm curious, you know, for the for the topics we were talking about today with the using statistics and volatility and investing and you know, Ray Dalio's approach, what, what book out there would you recommend to the audience that you think really kind of encapsulates a lot of the the stuff we were talking about today? Well, a lot of the stuff I read tends to be surprisingly a little more on the psychological side. So, you know, I think the work of, uh, Taleb around, um, you know, his, uh, black swan ideas and just understanding risk in the markets and the way that that interacts with us psychologically, right? A lot of the work on um, uh, booms and busts and, you know, we, we have there's big booms and busts and there's many booms and busts in our portfolio, mini M-I-N-I, <laughs> small booms and busts, right, in our own portfolios. So kind of understanding the psychology of investing, again, I really believe that investing is largely a behavioral challenge. Um, there's so much good information out there right now, Preston, there's so many good tools you can find good sources of investment ideas. You can find good tools. What you really need are good investor habits. You know, and there's a lot of good information out today about how habits are formed and how to develop new habits. I think uh, it was um, maybe The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. There's a lot of great insights today about how to develop great habits. And we need great habits as investors. That's what is really going to make the difference between success and failure. So I think reading about successful investors, it's an old book, but the market wizard books, right? That was another place where I learned, you know, hey, individual, I mean, successful investors, they'll tell you, hey, 95% of the stuff I do ends up being a wash and 5% of my decisions lead to, you know, 80 to 90% of my gains. Yeah. And unfortunately for investors, it's the other way around. 5% of our decisions lead to 80 to 90% of uh, losses. And um, so reversing that, you know, imitating great investors, reading the work of great investors, really that gets you in the mindset of being a great investor. And that's what you really need. Love it. So Richard, tell the audience where they can find you. I don't know if you're on Twitter, but you just, just tell people where they could reach out to you. So tradestops.com, T-R-A-D-E-S-T-O-P-S.com. That's uh, my service online. You can. I also post a couple articles a week there on the blog. We are on Facebook, Twitter. I'm not very active on social media right now. I you know, tend to be a more private person. 
but, uh, but I am in business, so I know I got to get out there a little bit. But uh, the blog at Trade Stops is a great place and just to learn about the product and our offerings there. That is awesome. Well, Richard, all I can say is thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of your work and it was really fun for me to sit down and, and chat with you to kind of hear how you, how you got to where you're at today and, and your mindset and how you've designed your platform. So this was really a lot of fun. Thank you for your time. Well, Preston, I think you are a great voice out there for the individual investor. I think individual investors actually have advantages over big investors and institutions that we don't fully appreciate. And so I love the work that you're doing and uh, it's been a real honor to be on your show. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate that. All right. So that concludes our interview here with Richard Smith. Uh, We appreciate your time and we look forward to talking with you guys next week. Thanks for listening to TIP. To access the show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. To get your questions played on the show, go to asktheinvestors.com and win a free subscription to any of our courses on TIP Academy. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making investment decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the TIP Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Yeah, 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 yeah